pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right on Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Ellen Daniels, and Right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. We are here today with Sean Hamill, and we are discussing his debut novel, A Cosmology of Monsters. And I have just finished it, and... What can I say, Sean? It's just absolutely fantastic. I loved it. It's the most fun I've had reading a book in a very long time. Thank you very much. And I read a lot of books. Um, I just want to point out a review on the front of the book, which is probably some of the highest praise that, you know, any author could get, but certainly an author for this genre. If John Irving wrote a horror novel, it would be something like this. I loved it. Stephen King. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, John Irving, Stephen King. Okay, we'll take it. How did, how? My, my two heroes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just completely amazing. So I want to talk to you a little bit a little bit about your early life. First off, kind of how you became the writer that you are now and how this story came to be. Sure. Um, so... I, I've read a little bit about you about how you always there were horror novels all around the house growing up. Right. So what's your, what's kind of like the one that like? I mean the the first one uh, really for me the uh, was It by Stephen King. Yeah. You know uh, I think for everybody sort of around my age that book gets passed around in like junior high or grade school and you, sure. uh, you become an addict at that point. Um, and I. It's still the one that I, I come back to the most often. I still don't feel like I've squeezed everything there is to get out of it. Um, the detail in that book. I mean, he can go on for an entire chapter about how a drain grate smells. Yes. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And he makes it readable. Yes, exactly. Um, it's not like, you know, I mean, this is probably a terrible thing to say, but like Proust, just, you know, yeah, <laughs> describing the, the taste of a Madeline or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, so, well, speaking of it, have you seen the latest? Yeah. yeah what did I, you think? Um, I liked the first one better. I did too. I, I still enjoyed it, but, um, I thought it could have been a little shorter and maybe a little more focused. Yeah. Um, I thought it was funnier than it was scary. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I, but I thought the climax of the movie was really good. The whole third act is very exciting. Yes. I did love Stephen King's little cameo yes, in it. That's my favorite part of the whole movie. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so has like just, I don't know about you, but like I love to just have the crap scared out of me. It's something that I've loved since I was a child. And so obviously you, are into that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I'm more of the uh, what I what I'm into is more of like the 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 atmosphere of dread. I yeah. think is more my thing than just the absolute terror. Although I'm up for good absolute terror if it mm-hmm. presents itself. But um, yeah, there's something the the phrase I kept using uh, around the house whenever I was first coming up with this novel was dark wonder. That's sort of the the vibe, and I think Stephen King's best work all has that. Well, I think that definitely shows in the book. Um, this, you know, I didn't know what I was going into, but I just knew everybody at my local bookstore, Lemuria, was like, "You've got to read this. It's so great," and. I was engaged from like the first page. Thank I mean, you. like I couldn't. I mean, I've, I've not wanted to do anything. I wanted to sit at home and read this book. And um, so, I mean, tell me how you kind of, how this story kind of, how, 
it formed in your mind? It was it was a really long process. Um, in my early 20s, I'd gone on this road trip to Taos, New Mexico, and stayed in a youth hostel. And I had this idea. It was um, it was in the summer, so and it was in you know Taos is a skiing town, so like there's nobody there but the family who was running it. And I was like, oh, wouldn't that be kind of a a neat idea for a book about a family running a youth hostel. And I just kind of put it in my back pocket. I, I I knew almost right away it would be narrated by the youngest kid, that um, the dad wouldn't be around by the time the, the narrator was, um, you know, old enough to start telling his own story. And um, I knew about uh, the older sister, Eunice. Um, and um, I mean, it's not a spoiler. It's the first line of the book and the suicide notes. Um, all of that was there immediately and then I had to wait like I'm 36 now and that was I think I was 21 or 22 so I had to write, wait 14 15 years um and so whenever I first got to the Iowa Writers Workshop I I wrote this story um you know I'd been uh, I went to a lot of haunted houses in my 20s there are a lot of them in the Dallas Fort Worth area where I grew up I'm sure there are a lot around here too um but uh, I'd written this short story about this couple, you know, where the husband has, um, you know, a terminal illness and he's kind of left the family to go work at this haunted house because he's like, you know, screw it. Um, and the, you know, his wife has come to try and bring him home, essentially. Um, and my instructor, Ethan Kanan, um, you know, he he did not like the story. He felt, you know, it was just it wasn't working. He didn't like the haunted house milieu. You know, he was like keep the terminal illness, you know, uh, make these characters you care about and, you know, dump the haunted house, have them build a boat or something. And I was like, I don't know anything <laughs> about boats. Um, so I, I doubled down on the haunted house, but that, that advice about um, making it, you know, this uh, empathy for the characters. Cause I think for a long time in my twenties and early thirties, I, I, I was writing a lot of very unsympathetic characters. Uh, I'd seen too many Noah Baumbach movies or something. Um, <laughs> and uh so, you know, just that that great advice, Ethan's, you know, Ethan's novels are just full and his short stories are just full of, um, you know, warmth. And so so is John Irving. And, you know, he he was my favorite novelist, aside from Stephen King growing up. Um, so I had this, um, you know, this idea, OK, take the haunted house. And then suddenly one day I'm walking my dog and like the haunted house idea and the family business idea kind of collided because I was trying to figure out how do I fix the story? And then I was like, oh, it's not a short story. It's a novel. And it's this novel I've been waiting to write since I was in my 20s. And from there, it kind of went down the rabbit hole. Like I, I did not outline it. I didn't plan it. Um, it was originally supposed to be more of a John Irving style um you know, naturalist uh, novel without supernatural elements. But I, um, they sort of invited themselves in at a certain point and they felt right. So I just kind of followed the story where Went I wanted it. to go. Yeah. Well, I'll, yeah, I've been to one haunted house in my life and it was, it was in Orlando on Church Street. It was like Hell House on Church Street. Okay. I was probably like 12 years old. And it terrified me so fully. I have never wanted to do a haunted house ever again because I don't want that experience tarnished. <laughs> I mean, because like it was borderline traumatizing. Sure. And I loved it. I mean, it was like <laughs> the most intense adrenaline rush of all time. But it was so interesting about you know just to have the ha the haunted house to be like the family business i mean because like surely 
that is a thing. And right. like how interesting that this is a, it's a very niche market, I would think. Yeah, yeah. And that was another thing. It 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 wasn't a novel that I felt like I'd seen before. So no. I felt like it was it was um you know, it already went towards my interest, but also um, was something that, you know, I'd seen some documentaries and stuff, but no, nobody had written the great American haunted house novels. <laughs> well, Shirley Jackson, was she English or American? I can't remember. Oh, gosh, I should know this. Well, maybe the great American haunted house attraction novel. Yes, that way. yes, attraction. Uh, yeah, uh, because it is artificial, but... You know, you're in the. They are in the business of creating terror and scares, and um, that really committed to it. I mean, yes. Noah. I mean, the youngest, the the narrator is totally committed to it. It takes a lot of creativity. It was interesting to read about the family's creativity, creating this attraction that people would come all over for. Um, and I, you know, I'm always very scared about spoiling anything in the book, but um, you know the. On the synopsis, Noah Turner sees monsters. And at the bottom it says, Noah Turner sees monsters, but unlike his family, Noah chooses to let them in. And I was just like, okay, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm here for this. Um, so, I mean, can you, can you tell me kind of like how you structured the novel a little bit? Because it's um, there are bits in there that are like look like as though they've been written on a typewriter right. by but it's not narrated by Noah. It's just right. this unknown narrator. Yeah. Um, so uh, as far as like the overall structure of the book, I, you know, I, I, I tend to think cinematically. I thought I was going to be a screenwriter when I was a kid. So I spent all of high school. You know, it wasn't until I got to college that I got the, the fiction writing prose bug. So I still tend to think in like scenes and and. Um, I, you know, so to kind of, I guess, paper over my inability to summarize large chunks of time, I decided that there would be these big jumps between each section of the book and that each until the very last will be set around a Halloween um, in the family's life. And, um, you know, watching the, the haunted house attraction sort of grow and change as well would give me a lot of opportunity to kind of play with it and change it and uh, show the family members interacting with it in different ways. And between the major sections, there are these uh, interludes called the Turner sequence. And those came, I guess, in... Uh, <laughs> instinctually, I guess, you know, I was writing the novel and um, I just finished the, the second section of, of the book and um, suddenly I had this idea for this more experimental uh, bit of prose that focused on Sydney, the oldest daughter in the family, and how she's uh, focusing on a bit of bad news that's just been delivered to the family. Um, and I, I just sort of, I kind of followed my gut. Like the, the language kind of just flowed there in a way that I was having trouble with in the main part of the novel. And as I wrote, you know, more of the book, I realized that I this was an opportunity to sort of look into the psyches of the other characters. Since Noah is a first person narrator, you know, and has a somewhat limited point of view, this is a chance to get information uh, that's important to the story. It, it can kind of create tension because, you know, you know things that Noah doesn't know at that point in his story. Yeah. Um, because you're fine. You know, each interlude is from the point of view of a different member of the family. And so you also get a chance to see what they're struggling with, what they're haunted by, what they're ashamed of. Um, 
and you know in a lot of ways that this is a novel about a family that doesn't know how to talk to each other so so this was an opportunity to just be baldly honest with the characters emotions and and um just let them uh carry some of that weight and help um help the reader empathize a little bit especially you know some characters are colder than others like margaret's a little bit colder so getting into her head a little earlier you know gives i think uh more sympathy because you understand like just how hard-pressed she is yeah i thought she was very sympathetic i mean because she she was several different people in throughout the course of the novel basically i mean you know she's kind of young and vibrant and then this you know tragedy and then she's very cold and just trying to keep her family afloat yeah she knew struggle yes (laughs) the woman knew struggle for sure um i loved uh eunice and noah's relationship who was your favorite character did you have a favorite it's like Uh, eunice yeah yeah so i thought that she was so interesting and multi-layered and well-developed i um i really thought she was a fantastic character um complicated god bless her we're in the south we have to say god bless her i mean like (laughs) she was she was a tortured soul um but uh you know eunice i mean she was she really was the one that i kept coming back to i really wanted to know kind of like what would what was going to happen with her and everything and um the next-door neighbors, the Ransoms, were of <laughs> yeah. extreme interest to me as well. <laughs> uh, I hope they don't model anybody that you know. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. They are entirely fictional creations. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, your book was populated with very complex, complicated, interesting characters that you, I mean, that I wanted to know more about the entire time. So, I mean, I think that's quite a feat thank you so much um so uh well so we talked about it your favorite as a child i mean there's a lovecraft is mentioned a lot in this book so tell me you've got to have some sort of fondness for lovecraft for sure well uh, you know um, respect uh, respect would probably be a better word for it i'd say it's more of a love-hate relationship um I, I didn't come to Lovecraft until I was in graduate school, actually. Mm-hmm. I, w- I had started reading him at the same time, like, I, you know, the, the other two ideas kind of collided. And um, I was reading in particular the, the story, The Call of Cthulhu, um, and I was on the bus in Iowa City, you know, just on my way to class. And I read this passage that's this, you know, beautiful description of this sunken city. And it opens the book, actually. It's mm-hmm. the... And there was something about that, you know, because Cthulhu sort of communicates with um, the human race in the story by through the the dreams of the poets, the artists, the sculptors. And I thought there was something so lovely about that idea of the monster speaking through our artists and, and this uh, sort of correlation between ambition and monstrousness and, and dreamers um that i was like oh this would be a great reference point for the book because these are people who run a haunted house so they're gonna know about horror and lovecraft has this interesting um you know shifting place in the the culture throughout the novel because in 1968 when the novel opens he's sort of um uh you know a little more obscure and he's more of a pop culture figure now um 
you know, you can get stuffed Cthulhu's online and stuff. You know, <laughs> I was wearing Cthulhu socks at my reading last night. You That's know, amazing. Um, <laughs> um, and so I thought it it also made a good anchor point between Harry and Noah, uh, Harry the dad, mm-hmm. and Noah the narrator. You know, the youngest child, um, because the novel goes from like. 68 to 2013 so it was a way to sort of um, another way to kind of glue the characters together and also there's this cosmic nihilism that Lovecraft has you know this this idea of just utter hopelessness in the face of a vast and uncaring cosmos and for him that was sort of the end place but I was kind of interested in taking that uh, that that backdrop I guess of like okay what if none of it means anything and sort of using that as a larger starting place and telling a warmer story. So, you know, I, I, I still have trouble reading Lovecraft. I love his ideas. I love some of his prose. Like when he gets down to business uh, in his stories, you know, then they get better. Like when he starts actually talking about the monsters, I think if he were working today, he'd be writing Dungeons and Dragons manuals, not short stories. Because yeah. he seems to enjoy just cataloging these these creatures more than he enjoys um telling stories about people yeah and that's really hard for me because i read for character mostly you know world building i love but but if i don't care about the characters it's really hard it's all for naught right exactly well after so many years of thinking about this novel and crafting it and just getting it just the way you wanted it what is it like for it to finally be in the hands of readers and to have people reading it and telling you how they feel about it it's, I mean, it's mostly been a positive experience so far. Uh, it seems mostly to uh, most of the readers that I've heard from or the reviews or, you know, um, stuff that, and it could be that my publicist is just really good at filtering for me, <laughs> but I don't think so because I'm a neurotic Googler. So <laughs> I think yeah, if there I was... Think I think our entire generation is neurotic yeah, Googlers for yeah, sure. I, I can't leave it alone. Um, you know, I'm... I have to know. Yeah, I'm updating my Goodreads author profile like 4,000 times a day, like I love Goodreads. Me too. (laughs) You know, I've used it for years as a reader and now as an author, it's just a completely different game kind of thinking about like, oh, you know, just thinking about how I would drop ratings very casually in the past. And like now I'm a little more... Uh, cautious whenever I'm I'm dropping something because I'm thinking like oh this is somebody even if I didn't like this somebody worked really hard on it so it's a little harder to just dump on something you know for sure um, but um, our generation is not afraid to troll though. no no they're not and I'm I'm lucky I haven't uh, run into that yet I'm sure it's coming yeah um, I mean there've been a couple of you know um, reader reviews that weren't especially glowing, but they seem so far to be in the minority, so I'm taking some comfort from that. Yeah. Um, You can't please everybody all the time. Exactly. And the book is, you know, it it makes a couple of divisive uh, choices in terms of its relationships and and what it chooses to not lionize, but permit, I guess. Um, uh, And I knew going in that that was going to turn some people off of the book. and that does seem to be something that, you know, that when they get hung up, I can be on that. I can be like, oh, OK, it's not that they didn't think the writing was good or whatever. It's like they, they had a problem with this plot element and that is intrinsic to the story. And so, you know, that's fine. It just wasn't for them. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what makes the world go around is everybody's into different things. And but this it's really so amazing when um you know a group of people can find something that they're all really into that are you know not connected in any sort of way um and i think you know I, 
there's a lot of so at Lemuria where I heard about where I heard about your book. There's a lot of different types of readers in there that work there. You know, everybody's into very different genres. Sure, but I mean, out four people that work there came up to me independently. They were like, you've got to read this book. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, okay, I'm going to read it. And I did. And then I was just like, well, we have to interview him on the podcast because <laughs> this book is fantastic. And it is so much fun, but it is, it's not superficial. I mean, like, it's, I mean, Stephen King compared it to John Irving and nothing about a John Irving novel is superficial no, or no. surface. Um, it's very in-depth and there's there's a lot of... Um, as I must say, complexity again, but there's so many layers. Um, and I love how you go to different sections in time, you know, different periods in time. Each section is a different period for Noah. Um, and you just kind of end up in a spot, you know, in the future, and you just pick up the story, and it's so seamless. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a trick I learned from the world according to Garp, actually, because there's that that moment right before the big tragedy hits, you know, when the, they have the car accident. Oh, yeah. um, and the book just jumps forward in time and doesn't tell you what's happened for like, it feels like 20 pages. I don't know what the actual page number is. And then you find out, like they start dropping hints. And I remember being 16 and reading the copy I checked out from the library and just being like, oh, no, oh, no. And so like I kind of agonizing. Wanted, yeah, I kind of wanted to uh, to 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 do that, I guess, to pay that forward to readers uh, to sort of, you know, jump you forward and kind of get you into a new status quo and keep the story sort of moving, too. So yeah. you don't have time to, like, stagnate in any of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can love a book where there can be certain points in it where I'm just like, okay, yeah, let's get this rolling. <laughs> and I truly, I mean, I, I say this with all honesty. If I didn't think it, I wouldn't say it. I never felt that way in this book. I mean, I was, you know, it just, you just kept it going. Oh, thank you. Um, but what's a part in this, what's something about this book that you really hope that your readers will love? I mean, like. Um, I hope. I mean, to me, you know, it's a family novel first and a monster story second. So I'm hoping that the love stories that really form the core of the novel work for people. Yeah. Um, that's I, what I'm hoping for, I guess, and um, that they emotionally connect with the people, you know, um, and in the story uh, the way that I did. You know, I... I you know, I really did my uh, emotional homework to, to quote my friend Claire Lombardo. She said that recently about her novel. Um, oh, I just I finished that not long so ago. So good. So good. <laughs> so this is like a family. Ep your book is like a family epic, but there's monsters it's, in it. Exactly. So that's I mean, in a family epic is kind of my favorite thing. Mine so, too. Yeah. I just love. It. Well, what are some of your favorites? Um, I love Meg Wolitzer's The Position. Uh -huh. um, that one's a lot of fun. Um uh, Middlesex, of course. Oh. Um, I think Middlesex might be the big one for me. Uh, the Hotel New Hampshire actually is my favorite John Irving book, um, you know, which is about a family running a business, yeah. <laughs> believe it or not. Um, uh, I, I'd say those are probably the, the big ones for me. I'm trying to think. I mean, so I just read Claire Lombardo's The oh, Most yeah, Fun We Ever Had. That was... That's what a top one for me. I'll be honest. Yeah, and so my actually, I got my we got our book club to read it. I mean, it was just, I, I just I couldn't stop talking about that book as well. I mean, it was uh, the characters in it. I mean, like I will have to say that one of them was totally unsympathetic to me. So I'm very <laughs> keyed into like unsympathetic characters, like you were talking about earlier. But um, I was interested in it. But yeah, Middlesex was. 
I remember when I read that book. I mean, it just like that book shook me to my core. Yeah. There's something about a family a family epic. It just it just gets me every time. And I also I just read um, the Seven or Eight Deaths of Stella Fortuna by Juliet Graham. It's a read relatively that. new book. And okay. so got an Italian family. Oh, okay. So I mean that's very, very interesting. That was a great book. I'll have to check that out. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Maybe can, I'll buy it tonight at Women's Yeah, Korea. <laughs> we can we can exchange family epic suggestions. Um well are you do you have anything else in the works? I hate to ask you that when you're like on your tour right. for this great book. But um, are I there mean, any ideas brewing? Yeah, yeah. My um I've sort of been uh, working on a, a new novel. It's very early stages. It's kind of in the same vein. Um, uh, I'm calling it more dark fantasy than horror, but you know, uh, um, it's it's really too early to kind of talk about. But um, my agent's been a great sounding board for it, um, and so I'm really excited about um, what we're you know sort of uh, agreeing to. I guess ahead yeah. of time, you know. Um, He's been, you know, uh, a great collaborator through the whole thing, and, and I'm really excited. That's, you know, to to really get back to work on a book because, you know, I I haven't been composing something new in a long time. So yeah. you and birth this child. Yeah, it's time it, to. It was a difficult birth. <laughs> yeah, it's time to get moving on some on another one. Well, who who would you say? Who are some people that have been really instrumental in getting this book published, birthed? Right. Um, um, well, definitely uh, Ethan Kanan. I, uh, Your instructor. Oh, yeah, my yeah. instructor. Uh, Paul Harding was another one of my instructors at the Iowa Writers Workshop. Uh, he wrote Tinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he um, you know, despite uh, my pro style being completely different from his, he really seemed to like my stuff and get what I was trying to do and really knew how to point me in the right direction. Uh, Lan Samantha Chang, who's also, she's the director of the workshop. She was really great. Um, she was the one who read the early pages and said, if you're going to write about horror, you should try to scare people. <laughs> like, why aren't you, why aren't I scared? Yeah. Um, and I was like, fair enough. Um, uh, my agent, Kent Wolf, uh, was, you know, he, he really did a lot of uh, work on the novel because the first draft was like 220,000 words and the final book's 100,000. You know, he told me like, you've got to cut it down and he helped me winnow it down to like, you know, the the essence of the story, like what mattered because uh, I just followed down every blind alley. I, think, I feel like editors are like the Jedis of the book publishing world. Yeah. And my my actual editors, Tim O'Connell and Anna Kaufman, they, mm-hmm. they were also just amazing in keeping like uh, fine-tuning it, you know, because it, it uh, we did so much work, especially in the middle of the book, where a lot of books tend to kind of slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like they were really determined to kind of um, keep that pace moving, but also still dropping the right information. And there was a lot of conversation about how much world building to include, how much to leave mysterious. And like, I am so happy with the final product and I couldn't have got there without these people and their wonderful ideas and like just knowing to, you know, great advice to starting writers, listen to your agent and listen to your editors because usually they know what they're talking yeah. about. They're, they, they're in the business. Exactly. Yeah, they're in the business. So, well, um, we want to thank you, Sean, for joining us today. Um, everybody, be sure to visit your local bookstore and pick up this great book, or um, or go on ch- or go online and check it out. Um, right on Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South Literary Lawn Party, and we thank you again for being here today with us. Oh. And thank you, Sean. Thank you so much for having me. All right, thanks.